Hello listeners and welcome back to another episode of the Plus Dave podcast, the Tottenham Hotspur theme show brought to you by a team of Spurs fans and a Leeds fan called Dave. The team of Spurs fans this week being myself and Elio who are very frustrated. We'd much rather be anywhere else other than talking about Tottenham Hotspur this week, as I'm sure a lot of you will have been feeling over the last few days. But we hope a lot of you have shown up to listen and you can help come through this, what will hopefully be a cathartic experience in talking about what was a very disappointing North London derby this weekend. And to help us talk about that, as always, of course, is also Dave. Dave, welcome back. Did you enjoy any parts of that? Because I think it's safe to say that we did not. Um... I did not particularly enjoy mm. that because I knew that it would upset my friends. It's very diplomatic, um, you, but, uh, you can be honest here. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I've, I've got no love for yeah. Arsenal, but yeah, I mean, it was a tough one to watch. If you were at Spurs inclined, mm. you got beat in the first half. Not much else indeed, to talk about. Indeed, indeed. Talk about City. We're going to talk about, yeah, exactly. As if, as if the, the misery is piling on, isn't it? That's we, it, right? We'll get onto that, but let's take on one misery at a time. And to help us with that, of course, is Elio. Elio, welcome back. I can see the steam coming out of your ears as you prepare for another monologue slash rant. I can see Dave getting his popcorn ready for that. I mean, I think it's safe to say you're incapable of going head over heart with these things, aren't you? I think we, we talked about it last week. You're always excited about the North London derby, even if there's a little voice in your head telling you that you probably shouldn't be. So it's always going to be a disappointment when this happens. I asked you about the Villa game, whether that was the biggest disappointment of the season. Same question again, and I suspect the answer may be yes this time. Yeah, I definitely think this was the biggest disappointment of the season. Maybe not necessarily our worst performance, but definitely our biggest disappointment. And so much of it comes down to how I do feel there was an element of us making them look like there was a bigger gulf than there actually is between the sides in that first half. But... But more than that, I've kind of forgotten what it was like to taste defeat at home to Arsenal. It's been so long since that's happened. That kind of just took me back to my youth when we were sort of going through our carousel of terrible managers while they were enjoying the Wenger years and seeing them bully us every time. And, And it was not a good feeling. It's a rare thing that coming back to your youth is such a painful experience. Normally, that's a good thing, Elliot. Normally, it's a nice nostalgia that you welcome. But unfortunately, when it comes to Spurs, we don't like to think too much about the recent past, do we? I was a fat geek with a weird name. My youth was horrible. (laughs) And on top of that, you supported Spurs as if you needed another reason to be bullied. Well, let's talk about the game then, shall we? 2-0 to Arsenal. Probably safe to say, on balance, it was a deserved 2-0, even if we did have our moments. Uh, Let's look at the lineup first of all, because... Obviously, we've had a couple of injury issues. Most of the team was as expected. I think the main talking points were Saar and Sessegnon in the lineup. Now, Elio, I know mm. you've had some strong words about Sessegnon, and I imagine they may well continue in this game. Let's talk about Saar first, because potentially a silver lining, if that's not too strong a thing to say, wasn't terrible and has been pretty good. You wanted to see him in the lineup, and to be fair to him, he was okay, wasn't he? Well, I mean, I wanted to see Benton Core in the lineup, but he wasn't yeah, fit yet, well. sadly. But I'd say Saar, if he progresses well, will potentially bring a lot of what Benton Core 
does bring in terms of that ability to get the ball from one end of the pitch to the other. I, I liked a lot of what I saw. He's very comfortable on the ball. He was definitely the braver of our two central midfielders on the day and he definitely made the fewer mm. mistakes of the two as well. I'm not going to hammer Hoybier too much because to tell you the truth, he's having a good season and he's allowed a bad game. Yeah. It's a shame that it was this game, but he was god-awful. Mm. But yeah, so there was a decent amount to like whether there's much defence of Conte choosing to throw him in for his Premier League debut in that game of all games in a two-man midfield against the best functioning midfield in the league at the moment. Mm. Uh, That's a conversation I think we need to have, but I don't want to sort of let the overall malaise that I'm feeling as a result of the game tint everything negatively. Saar did all right. I'm hoping that when we see him against other opposition when he gets into his stride we see a bit more than alright but yeah decent first outing fair enough well I'll give Cessna on a break for now but we'll probably come back to him at some point throughout the course of no, this no 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 this I'm review. waiting I'm waiting oh, you, want, you want me to tee you up for Cessna yeah okay I, I want to get Dave's opinion on it as well but go on Nelly let's hear your thoughts on Cessna because I know you've bashed him enough before and probably I just nothing's changed once again I hate it I hate bashing any of our mm. players at any point I hate bashing a young player one who's meant to have had a lot of potential but I just don't see a Premier League footballer there at all. He's getting enough chances in what's meant to be one of the better sides in the league. Well, we are still one of the better sides in the league because we're fifth. So it's hardly let's prepare the noose territory. But he just seems so out of his depth. And I thought the decision to... The second I saw him in the lineup, my head sunk. I think I text our group saying it's unwelcome to ever see him within 100 miles of our stadium. Never mind in the lineup. (laughs) I do recall words along those lines, yes. I just I just don't think he's going to cut it mm. because he does the simple things badly and doesn't make up for that with any of the complicated things. So yeah. what's he there for? I mean, he's one of those players where we played him at left back. We said, well, he's a bit too attacking to be a left back. We played him at left wing and we said, well, he's a bit too defensive to be a left <laughs> winger. We're now playing him as a wing back and that's not working either. So... I ask you, what is, what is what Ryan Sessegnon? Because yeah. the guy... All right, I'm well aware that low confidence will always impact these things. but mm. if And that then comes back to the manager. Why aren't you helping the guy with his confidence? Absolutely. But he should get confidence from the fact that he's continually being picked at his age to play in one of the biggest sides in the country. That should be enough to give him confidence. Yeah. And, and it's just... It's getting to the point where a young player is getting groans from the crowds almost as soon as he gets the ball and mm. that's that's not good for him that's not good for us that's not good for the team and I thought it was a poor decision to include him he was yeah. obviously included to try and give us a bit more physicality and pace up against Saka mm. a lot of good that did for the first goal and I think it's very hard to make excuse for him and I really hope he proves me wrong and rams all of this down my throat but right now I, I just don't see a player Dave I'm going to come over to you I'm going to give Elio a break for a second because I'm sure there's going to be more of there's going to be several more chapters of angry rants today and i think there are a few more of our players that are going to be in the firing line very shortly simply was that a fair result 2-0 to arsenal from what you saw fair reflection of the game yes yeah it was yeah i think it probably should have been Mm. more than 2-0 at half time and as much as you know you i mean it's a bit of rinse and repeat i'm afraid guys you know as much as i'd love to tell a different story you know you guys didn't turn up in the first half and the second half was basically 
deemed irrelevant because of the ground you've given yeah. Arsenal already by, well, not necessarily gifting them the goals, but there were yeah. moments of you know, <laughs> slap putting it nicely yeah. in the, yeah. uh, the defence. Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, I mean, we'll we'll talk about the goals, but I think before the goals even started going in, I think Gary Neville, the chief cockwomble himself, said it looked like we were playing on ice, like like Spurs were playing on ice, which kind of summed up like about about a thirty second period where it just was Mm. you were just unable to clear the ball, and I was just like, I think that was about seven minutes in. I was like, oh gosh, this could be be a lot. I totally get your points, and obviously, you can get away with starting slow, having a bad first half, and even coming from behind against say Bournemouth like we did obviously Arsenal are going to be less forgiving but what I thought was perhaps slightly different and I've seen this in a few of our games the first 10 minutes or so weren't actually awful in my opinion and Elio feel free to jump in and correct me or either of you uh, it appears out as the gold actually appears to me I've got a quote from his tweet here just saying can never get my head around how Spurs start matches compared to how they play after 10 to 15 minutes they start full of energy pressing high up the pitch cause problems and then it's like someone hits a switch and they become passive and drop deep for the rest of the first half Elio, do you agree with Alistair Gold there? And do you have any idea why that would be, if you do in fact agree? I, I, I do agree with Ali. 100% I agree with Ali on that. It is perplexing. Mm. I thought we did start this match first, maybe not as 10 minutes, maybe 10 minutes is a bit generous, but definitely in sort yeah. of the first sort of five or six minutes, we did press, we did push up, and we actually had them on the back foot for those few yeah. minutes. And Kane, Son and Kulisevsky all showed a few nice moments. There was one reverse pass from Son where the ball came into him and he turned and put it through to Sessignon where... I don't know actually if that was before or after Arsenal's mm. got to say the truth, but it was a beautiful move and deserved to go at the end of it if, well, if Sessignon could cross, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, sorry to go back <laughs> to him. Uh, Poor Sessignon, we keep on setting him up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's going to get some Danny Rose treatment <laughs> today. He might get some Sean Longstaff treatment. <laughs> um, but... I take Sean Longstaff right yeah, now. Over yeah, him, he's actually uh, having a good position. season. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I really did feel like first few minutes of thinking, okay, you know what? Th- yeah. This is what I was hoping for. And then we just backed off and backed off and we gave their best player all the space in the world. And we just let them bully us in midfield. Mm. And whether it's because we had the two men up against the three men, whether it's because they had better players on the pitch, I think while I think 11 for 11 full strength, there's very little to choose between the who, as you know, I do think Saar and Hoybier up against Xhaka, Partey and yeah. Odegaard are going to struggle. Yeah, uh, anyone can see that so, coming. So I just feel like we just got pushed back and back and back until the inevitable happened. Well, I say the inevitable. You shouldn't ever think of a goalkeeping mistake to give the opposition the lead as being mm. inevitable. But unfortunately, and I, I think this probably segues into another chief villain mm. of the day, it was inevitable, the Loris mistake, just because I've just come to expect it now. Have you lost patience with him now? We had a similar conversation about Dyer. I know we've gone back and forth on Loris, and I think he kind of embodies Spurs in a way because he has one great game, then he has one terrible game, which as a goalkeeper just isn't good enough. Do you think there's any way out of this for him? Or do you think it's at that point now where he just needs to sign out with dignity, had a great career, great servant and all that? But do you think this is the beginning of the end for Hugo? If we could replace him this month, then I absolutely would. It's easier said than done, of course. And I know Force is a decent keeper, but he's not the long-term solution. Hugo Lloris isn't just our first-choice goalkeeper of the last decade. He's also our captain of of the last eight, nine years. He's got relationships throughout the team. You you have to think about these things. But at the same time, if you're running the team as a meritocracy, he is costing us Mm. now. And the thing is, Lloris had always had the mistake in him, but... 
there was a time when the points won because of his incredible reflexes and his pace off the line completely outweighed the points lost because of these mm. mistakes. Last season, Lloris had a very good season, in my opinion, uh, overall, and was a big reason why we did get into the Champions yeah. League. But this is just too regular. And I'd almost say now that if Lloris starts against Manchester City in three days' time, which I imagine he will, he will make another mistake to put us behind. Yeah, yeah. I saw something on Twitter saying, Lloris, howler, bingo. And people were just guessing the minute. And even the second goal, even the Odegaard's goal, like it it was a good shot. And obviously the rest of the team has something to answer for as well because they were giving him so much space to just line up on his left for the perfect Mm. shot. You put him on his strong foot and you just, give him all that time to pick his spots but it wasn't exactly a bullet it wasn't I one of those know. where you think that is unstoppable I don't know I, just, I wouldn't I, if, if he hadn't already made from that if distance, he hadn't already made a mistake if that was the only thing he'd done wrong in the game I don't think you'd be criticising him for it maybe not but for it's 25 mm. yards he didn't look like he had a particularly restrictive view and it wasn't a hard hit it didn't look like one of those sort of Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank sort of 70 mile an hour thunderbolts it, it was it was one of those like parties volley I, I think that that would have uh, yeah. <laughs> if that had gone in you'd say fair play I, I think an on-form Hugo Lloris the Hugo Lloris that I was talking about a minute ago who's good moments outweighs his bad moments just doesn't have any issue with that there was a time when I never expected any long shot no matter how good it was to beat Hugo Lloris yeah. so so yeah, it wasn't not even his enough. first mistake. The goal, obviously, I mean, it was a howler. Let's call it what it is. It was it was horrible. But yeah, but he um, he screwed up. Yeah, trying to he play nearly, it out he, he, that. he tried to play it out. Played a bit of a hospital ball to Longley, who didn't do particularly well with it, and played it back inside. And we nearly conceded before that. But I think Dave, I know you said that we were good enough in the first half, and we obviously had to play catch up. But do you think that that goal ended up being a bit of a turning point? Do you think that if Flores doesn't make that mistake and just catches that ball the way he should have done, Spurs could have actually been in that half? Because I think up until that point. Maybe we weren't the better team, but we had chances. There was a chance that Son had where Sessegnon actually, despite being pretty terrible for every other minute of the game, actually did quite well to take a touch and play him in. Probably should have scored. We had our moments and we were there for a game. Do you think that was the turning point? Um, Potentially, yeah. I mean, when something like that happens, you obviously, Mm. heads will drop. And that's obviously what happened. And I would say probably Arsenal smelt blood at that point. and, And, you know, they were very much on top. As soon as that goal went in, pretty much for the rest of the half, yeah. uh, maybe a couple of half chances for Spurs. But Ramsdale got man of the match, didn't he? But he did. I'm not. I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced <laughs> he didn't. He made any saves. Yeah. That he he just looked brilliant compared to Loris. Basically, that's what it was. Exactly. It's, it's almost like adulation through comparison. The save from Kane was right in front of me. The save from Kane at the end of the first half was right in front of me. I thought that was actually a really good save because it was from so close up, and Kane did actually divert the header to go towards the far post. So whereas usually a header from that angle yeah. near post every time. So Kane glanced it very well. I'm not saying it was a spectacular save, but I think Loris concedes that that header right yeah. now. Uh, um. <laughs> I think yeah well that, that, well, I guess that proves my point Elia it's, you're comparing yeah. a keeper who did his job to a keeper who you don't mm. think would be able to do mm. their job but yeah it probably was the turning point although that said I think there were there were mm. plenty of warning signs there before were. that this wasn't necessarily going to be your day so yeah I, uh, yeah, I don't want to don't want to put too much of an emphasis on it yeah. but you know 
when one keeper makes saves and the other one drops clangers. It's, it's not just the direct impact, though, is it? It's, it's, it's like you say, like Elliot said, you know, as soon as you see your captain, your leader, your goalkeeper make that mistake, everyone starts to get a bit wobbly. And I think the, the reason Ramsdale looked so good was that he was just commanding, wasn't he? He just came out and got the ball. He did the simple things with an authority. And after Loris had made that mistake, you, you've got to wonder, would Odegaard have even hit that shot if what had happened hadn't just it's, happened? It's like, you know, it's almost like Gareth Bale's second goal in that Champions League final when Loris Karius bundled the ball. And it's almost like you're inviting more shots that way it's a funny one because when we did get on top in the second half and I think the second half was ours yeah and listen, you know I always make the argument sort of, well, what's the point in being the better team when you're already two Yeah, and it's easier down. to be good against the team in second gear. It is, but we also had them on the ropes in the second half. And mm. had we got to that first goal, it would have been interesting to see what we could have done from there. Um, but Ramsdale's a big reason why we didn't get mm. that first goal. Because if you're actually kind of, and I'm kind of being a hypocrite here by leaning on stats, Arsenal had the better XG by about 0.2. Yeah. So I think they're like 1.7 our 1.5 roughly but we had more of the ball in total across the game more shots more shots on targets more block mm. shots more corners which you know I like corners as a, a stat more what's being considered as big chances more shots from inside the box and quite a few more shots from inside the box as well we had 13 to their 8 played mm. more passes though with the worst passing accuracy so and put more crosses in as well with the same success rate so actually if you just looked at the stats across the game without taking into the account that all our play was after we were 2-0 down, it shows that we could have got something from mm. the game. And I really do think a big part of why we didn't, not that we'd have deserved something, but a big part of why we didn't get something from the game is because Ramsdale, his constant, and I don't even think Ramsdale's a great keeper, by the way. He's he's good. He's, he's a modern day Ben Foster or something yeah. like that. It's not the embodiment and the rebirth of Peter Shilton for fuck's sake. Like, he's a good goalkeeper mm. and probably in the top five yeah. in the league at the moment. But he did have a good game and and just by keeping those concentration levels up, just by being commanding, it stops us getting back into it. If we had got back into it, got that bit of confidence, then you don't know what happens after that. Obviously, we've made a habit of comebacks lately. So, well, maybe that's the secret to the other team stopping us, Bournemouth and anyone else that we've got yep. behind to. They need an Aaron Ramsdale. Yeah, maybe. And not often you'll agree with Gary Neville, Elio, but he said Spurs are playing like little boys out there. Do you think that's a fair summary? Do you think it was just a case of we weren't competing, we didn't have the heart, we didn't have the fight, or is that oversimplistic? Do you think maybe it was uh, a technical thing or a tactical thing? Do you think it was just a case of momentum? I know you talked about the midfield. If you had to summarise where it was we lost the game, and I know it's rarely just one individual thing, but what was the main difference between the sides? Before I go to that, I mean, Gary Neville just loves a sound bite, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it's the refuge of the person who doesn't actually have something valuable to say. <laughs> Um, well, last time he said we brutalised them, so he does like some sensationalist commentary. Well, exactly. He's lining up that job writing for the sun at some point, I guess. <laughs> but we lost it in midfield. Yeah. And we lost it in midfield because our more experienced midfielder of the two had an absolute shocker. Our other midfielder has potential, but he's not going to be a one-man midfield against the best current midfield in the country at this point in his development and because the manager had that as the combination going mm. into the match I mean much as I don't think Basum has pulled up any trees I would definitely have had him in for this game yep. whether it was as a three or as a two you'd have absolutely had the guy who has shown himself to be a bit press resistant 
has shown himself, not maybe not for us, but across his career yeah. in this league, shown himself to be press resistant, showed himself to be able to win a ball, showed himself to be able to get a ball forward. And he actually did all right when he came on as well, once again against an Arsenal side that were just seeing out the match mm-hmm. at that point. But it was just a really odd choice from Conte. And you may say, well, Saar currently on form deserved it. And I know I talk about meritocracy a lot, but he played well against Portsmouth. Yeah. I mean... There's deserve and there's deserve. This wasn't the game to when we've been off form against the most on form side in the country in our biggest rivalry and our most heat atmosphere. This wasn't the game to try and show everyone what a clever manager you are. And <laughs> I think that's what Conte did. Yeah, fair enough. It's kind of a no-win scenario in a way, isn't it? But no, I see where you're coming from. Dave, what do you think of the second goal? Because Elio just talked about it. Do you think that's one of those that you can't really defend against? Do you think that there's not much more Spurs could have done? Obviously, a lovely strike from arguably the informed player in the league right now. But would that have been stoppable? I mean... You gave him a lot of space to take Mm. that shot. So I would not put the blame on Lloris' door because I don't think a player of that quality should be given that much time to essentially pick his spot in the bottom corner Mm. uh, like he did. It was a good finish and... Yeah, maybe maybe a younger Lloris would have saved it, but I I would question the space he was yeah. given before he actually let fly yeah. with uh, with that effort. And uh, like earlier, as rightly said, you know this is a, this is a really well functioning midfield, and I think one of the at one point I think in the second half when not the game the game was won, but the kind of possession was in the balance and it was kind of in contest so to speak they were talking about the midfield so I, I just started looking actually looking at the midfield even when the ball wasn't there and there was nobody in the Tottenham midfield I think Basuma had dropped so deep that uh, it was near, near the end of the game so I think Basuma had dropped so deep that he was basically in the defence mm. and Hoybier was I don't, I'm not even sure I could see where he was mm. um, but but yeah it was just a gap basically in the middle of the of the pitch and I said well that's your difference you've got you've got the best midfielder best working midfielder at the moment in the, in the league and you've got nothing yeah and I agree with Elio Saar getting in the team is one thing I guess the other question is what does what does that mean for Basuma now where is he mm. in the pecking order and maybe that's what £28 million buys you nowadays. It buys you your fifth choice midfielder. <laughs> yeah, it, it could well do. Well, we, we've bashed quite a lot of the players and obviously the performance as a whole. Dave, from what you saw, was there anything to be thankful for? Anything to be excited about from a Spurs point of view? Were there any silver linings in what was an all-round pretty poor performance? Any of the players that you think actually had a half-decent game? <laughs> any moments that looked encouraging? I mean, it's, I mean uh, it's, it's rinse and repeat yeah. again. The answer is Kulisevsky. I thought he was so. The only, he was the only bright spark. Yeah, Elio agree? Kulazewski was by far our best player. I think when we were actually able to involve Kane, he did a few nice things. I wouldn't say silver lining, but mm. I wouldn't, I'd wouldn't. i exclude him from the hammering. Yeah. To an extent, I'd exclude Son from the hammering as well, to say the truth. Okay. I, I, just, I think the midfield behind them was just such a massive letdown that it's really hard to pin it out any of their doors. Kulazewski to me, actually didn't look fully fit. I mean, some of his crossing was the worst he's ever done Mm. for us, and yet he was still our best player. That's just a testament to the talents of the guy. Um, Then everyone else, I mean, Cessna, you know my views. I don't really pin... Same as I'm absolving the strikers a bit, I'm also absolving the three centre-backs a little bit because I think they were let down by their midfield as well. Um, Mm. That's not to say that's a silver lining as such. It's Mm. just when you don't have a midfield... 
the football match is a lot harder for you either mm. side of it. Um, I thought the Doherty sub was a little bit strange, leaving Sessegnon on the pitch and taking Doherty off. I don't know if he had a knock or something, but he was at the very least doing some proactive work down that side and linking well with Kulisevsky. But generally, it's not a game to look for positives. We lost to our biggest rivals yeah. at home mm. in a result that now puts them, I think, 14 points ahead of us. And is that with a game in hand as something well? Something like that, yeah. They're, they're, and eight points clear at the top as well, yeah. I, I don't even care if they win the league because they're the best team in the league. I've already yeah. said this. It, it's no skin of my nose. The only team I care about whether or not they win the league mm. is Spurs. But I do care about the fact that last season we finished ahead of Arsenal and this season at the halfway point, they are now 14 points ahead of us with a game in hand. What was it like in the stadium before the game? Was it the same kind of atmosphere that you usually get? Because obviously there's been a lot of discontent with our board. We're not playing particularly well, but this game seems to stand alone. Was Um, there the same kind of buzz you normally see? I think there was something of a buzz. I think it also faded out fairly quickly after that first goal it resurged a bit and we did try and urge the team on and second half we did actually create a bit more of an atmosphere because the team at least weren't going out without a win but they were creating chances they were pushing forward they were making tackles so I think second half the atmosphere did improve but honest to gods I'm not one of those that comes out and says well it's the players responsibility to get the fans on side but Mm. when the players are letting you down that much as they were in the first half it's very very difficult to raise them up especially when it's been a season's worth of this bollocks yeah absolutely well look, we've obviously talked a lot about this game I'm sure there's more we could say about it but we've got to preview the Man City game as well because that's all you need after you've just lost to your biggest rivals at home <laughs> a trip to the Etihad which historically hasn't been the worst fixture for us but neither was this one last year so whatever that means who knows um, before we move on though anything else you want to say about this game is there anything you've learned about the team for example anything that you didn't know before or was this kind of expected on some level I never expect that you know I don't I don't go into any match home or away ever expecting defeat because I'm an idiot <laughs> um, you're I a dreamer I'm glad that we're not playing them again mm. this season I'm glad that that will be true of Manchester City as well in a couple of weeks Yeah, because I think even the sides doing better than us at the moment are going to have their bad periods too, like we're having ours currently. Uh, None of them are infallible, but I think those two sides, this is one of those seasons where you're glad to get them out of the way early. So Dave, you think 14 points is a fair reflection of the difference between the two teams from what you saw? At least. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, when Elio was mentioning earlier about the stats, more shots, more big chances, all that, all I could picture was a giant guy holding a little guy away with his arm (laughs) and the little guy was swinging 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 and the guy's just like yeah I must admit if I had to guess on just on my memory of the game generally on the stats I would have imagined most of the stats would have been in their favour because just the overall memory of it was that they were superior more or less for most of the game in every way but obviously stats campaigns to misleading pictures sometimes can't they well probably going to be a similar story with Man City whether we win or lose we can probably expect them to have a lot of the ball so let's talk about that game because that's our next game which I believe is on Thursday if I'm not mistaken Elio Man City away first of all let's come to the lineup obviously injuries and everything permitting would you make changes from the Arsenal team Benton Kerr potentially could be back fit right by that game if Benton Kerr's fit he plays yeah yeah Perisic in for Sessegnon I'd imagine Perisic absolutely in for Sessegnon yeah and if this it's not going to happen so it's almost me to say it but go away from the three centre-backs 
is clearly not mm. helping us defensively. Go away from the three centre-backs and play a 4-3-3 or a 4-2-3-1 or something that gets the best out of the areas of the pitch where we do have mm. strength. And just go out fighting, yeah. for God's sake. I mean, we don't have a particularly great array of centre-backs. Longley and Romero are probably our two best centre-backs, so play those two together. Have Perisic as an attacking left-back or put him straight up high of the pitch and have him as one of the front four, whatever mm-hmm. you want to do, just because he does have to be in the team as he has our best delivery. But don't flog a system that is clearly not suited to the players at the club. Conte is meant to be this elite manager. We hear how good he is all the time. I'm sorry, elite managers don't persist with well I don't have quite what I need for my system so I'm going to either force them to try and play it or make a point to my board that I need new players elite managers adapt to what they have as well they don't just expect the club to adapt to them so yes Conte needs to be back to the transfer market get him the players he wants I fully subscribe to all of that but right now he has players that he is trying to make understand a style that they shouldn't be playing. I mean, Mm. or at the very least are substandard to it. So I'd go with a four-man backline and I'd go with either three in midfield and three in attack or two in midfield and four in attack. That's absolutely what I do. And if that means that you've got to put Perisic in the front four, great. Put Perisic in the front four and put Davies as a safety first left back and even put Emerson at right back for God's sake because I'm sure he can do that from a defensive point of view. But please no more of this surrendering Mm. midfield rubbish that we're having to put up with because there comes a time when you think this may not be the manager's fault but he's so stubborn in his ways that you need to change it yeah it's stubbornness and and to be honest Elio from reading Twitter you are far from the only one who wants to see that whenever I see these fantasy 11s of what we want to see from Spurs people always put back for and I don't know if it's just a case of because it's not working try something new or if people want to get more attackers on the mm. pitch or, or what it is but you're, you're not the only one who thinks that and it certainly makes a lot of sense Dave what do you think of that because do you think Spurs have the players to play with the system we're playing do you think we have the midfielders to play a midfield two when most teams are playing three in midfield or do you think we'd be better served changing the system not that it will ever happen it's, it's a bit of a fantasy thing it's like saying it's like saying yeah, who should we buy if we if we get overtaken by qsi and we suddenly have a billion pounds you know which we'll touch on later but you know what i mean it's um yeah, it, it is it is a bit of a, a yeah. moot point but at the same time I, i'll answer it anyway I, yeah i think i think when you don't have your best midfielders on form it falls apart and you can't be relying on that to be the yeah. case all the time. It feels like there needs to be, and I don't like it when you say plan A, plan B, because this is elite, elite yeah. sport. They're, they're, There's they're no tweaking way there isn't all a plan way. A through yeah. Z too. Doesn't look like it though. They doesn't, they, they, yeah, well, that's, that's, that, that's the thing. Just when you're just looking at it, you just go, well, what is mm. happening? Why isn't the manager seeing what we can clearly see? Yeah. And that's, and that's, you know, I've got that frustration at the moment with Leeds because we've got a couple of things and maybe it's easier for me to see it because they're so stark, glaring, yeah. obvious. Whereas how your midfield gets overrun and dragged out of position is a little bit more intricate. But mm. yeah, I've, I've given a long answer, but my short answer is, it's not working yeah. the way that it is it's currently set up now. And if we, if you guys want to have any chance of the top four, you can't keep your fingers crossed that Ben Tancor is fit as a fiddle for the next game and not look at alternatives, be that a transfer alternative, which I think is risky in January, even though we've just mm. spent 33 million euros on someone I've never heard of. 
At uh, least you've spent something. Well, yeah, I guess so. I'd prefer to send it back, but moving on. Or, or, or it's changing the system, which is the more sensible solution. What about a 352? Because we have seen that before, and I know it, it does facilitate... Uh, and that didn't work Yeah, but either. do you think that it wasn't given enough time? Because that's more in line with what Conte was using at Inter, and then that solves a midfield issue. It does mean, obviously, potentially dropping Son. That was at Inter, one of the top squads in mm. Italy. In Italy, which is a much weaker league team yeah. for team, or at least has been for a good chunk of time, it is actually quite good at the moment. Give me the job for the next three days. Conte takes a holiday. Give me the job. <laughs> Let's assume that the players are going to respect me in any way, shape, or form to listen to what yeah. I say. I think they would know a thing or two about coaching. <laughs> I, well, well, if nothing else, just for comedy value. And here's what you do: Davies, left back. Emerson, right back. Yes, I feel dirty yeah, saying he it, is a but right we know it's obviously he isn't a right back. So Davies and Emerson, left back, right back. Longley and Romero, two centre-backs. Mm. People say Romero can only play a three. No, he was fine in a two for Argentina. Uh, exactly. Put Bentancur if he's fit and Hoiberg in the middle or Bentancur and anyone together in the middle, quite frankly, because let's face it, he makes all of them look like better yeah. players. Fine. Perisic, the left footer, right wing. Kulusevski, playing as the number 10. He's our best presser. He's our most energetic, strongest attacker. He'll be able to help both midfield and attack. Put him in at the number 10. Put Son as that inside forward off the left with Davies' safety behind him so that he knows that he can just bomb. And Kane doing Kane's job at the top. It seems so simple and... It's so frustrating as a fan when... And all right, we can debate, okay, shouldn't we maybe try Cessna as an attacking left-back and Doherty or Spence or whoever as an attacking right-back? And obviously, that's the dream. But it sounds so simple, and that's what's frustrating, that it, it looks like there is such an obvious format to what to do with these players, and the manager is so entrenched in what he wants to do. And Conte, obviously, is the most successful manager we could have got at this moment. And then you think, well, if we didn't have him, what do we go and do? But right now he's doing, it's wash, rinse, repeat of the same failing thing. And it's not as if it's a small sample size. This is half a season now of us being, and okay, Arsenal, Manchester City, we've not played them yet, but Manchester City or Manchester United or anyone like that, even Newcastle, who player for player we are better Mm. than, but even Newcastle, you can say, okay, these guys are really on form, good sides, But when you see that this has also been the case against Brentford and Bournemouth and Brighton and and who else begins with B in this league? Um, Bolton aren't in us, are they? But when you see that pattern just emerging constantly, when you see Nottingham Forest's reserves at the time that they were bottom of the league outplaying us, you're just going to say, Conte, it's not working. It's not just an experiment over a few games either. It's the whole season and it's okay with fifth. Fine. Yeah. But it, something's not right. If we were getting results, playing ugly, fine, but we're not. I'm going to read two lineups to you now, and you tell me what you think of their players compared to ours, the teams that the players that started for them over the weekend. First, I'm going to go with Newcastle, who, as we are painfully aware, are now five points clear of us in the league, and they're the most catchable one because United are also five points clear with the game in hand. I have a sneaky feeling about Man United yeah. for the title. You got it right well, second time, for a title I agree, push. actually. I do agree. Um, yeah, uh, but Newcastle and we're just talking about these players playing to their potential right now not current form yeah. potential because a manager's job is to get the best out mm-hmm. of what he has are we taking 
Almiron and Joe Linton over Kulisevsky and Son? No. Callum Wilson over Kane? Of course not. Bruno Guimaraes we're definitely yeah. taking. But Trippier. what would we ever think if we'd made a bid for Joe Willock or Sean Longstaff? <laughs> Trippier. That we was an, or- we got the- an organic criticism of Sean Longstaff. That, that was actually relevant <laughs> to the conversation. This has all been a massive <laughs> setup. <laughs> yeah, Trippier. Trippier. We were jumping yeah. for joy when we sold him to Atletico Madrid for the yeah. amount we sold him for. And now we'd probably we be would begging love him, him for, for him back. Yeah. So he would get him. Are we taking Botman and over Romero? No. Maybe Bob, Bob probably in Italy, but no, in for someone. Dan Byrne over Perisic? No. Nick Pope over Lloris? Yeah. <laughs> yes. But I haven't just described the side that you're thinking, oh yeah. my God, they're obviously going to be five points above Spurs in the league. I've described the side that you're thinking they should probably Hello, be five yeah. points behind yeah, us and scrapping for six yeah, and seven. Yeah. But their manager is getting the best of them. Now, they played over the weekend Fulham. And do you know how many points behind us in the league Fulham are? They're like they're in like seventh, yeah, aren't they? That's right, Dave. Two, two behind. They're in, no, they're in sixth, and they're Jesus. two points behind us. Here's their goal: Burnt Leno, Kuzawa, Tim Ream, Tim Tim Ream. This is his fourth or fifth stab in a relegation threat inside in the Premier League, except Fulham aren't relegation for once. Issa Diop, who wasn't good enough for West Ham, who are currently fighting mm. relegation. Kenny Tete, a geriatric William. Bobby de Cordova Reed, Harrison Reed, Jao Palinha, Andres Pereira, who a good actually player. is quite a nifty player. Yeah. They're but, two good players. And Alexander Mitrovic, who's having the season of his life. Uh, apart They're from two penalties. points behind us. So good he hits it twice. And you know the argument I always go back to? Yeah, exactly. The argument I always go back to isn't just has the manager got the players he wants, has he got the best players he can have. The argument I always go back to is is the manager getting what he should be getting out of the team by comparison to other teams in the league? And it is a resounding no. Okay, you could say, well, look at Liverpool and Chelsea and what's going on. Chelsea have a brand new manager who didn't have a pre-season to get his style implemented. This is his first transfer window and this is his first stab at a big job. That's a stupid comparison to make. Klopp has won... Liverpool every single trophy at some point since he's been there so that's also a stupid comparison to make because he deserves to have a fallow year he deserves three fallow years for what he's done for that club Conte had a great start to his Spurs career and now the wheels are beginning to come off and I expect him to address it because otherwise he's just this decade's Juan de Ramos as far as I'm concerned no he won a trophy then Juan de Ramos yeah, exactly. Juan de Ramos was no trophies. <laughs> On a scale of zero to ten, zero being trust the process completely, ten being hashtag Conte out right now. Where do you sit at the moment? I'm a solid mm. five. Fence. On the fence again. I can go either way. <laughs> I'm complete. Fair enough. Okay. Okay. The, well, then I'm not expecting us to beat City. Mm. I'm expecting the manager to address very obvious pitfalls, yeah. and if he doesn't, then. You know what? I understand if they don't want to give him money because sometimes you have to earn it as well. Yeah, fair enough. Well, forget everything Elio just said because none of it's going to happen. I love the idea, Elio, and you're you're a dreamer in every sense. I I think that would be great to see, just even if it was only for a couple of games to see how it played out. But we're going to see 3-4-3. So given that fact, Dave taking it ahead to the Man City game. It's a game, of course, we've sometimes had some joy in, normally playing on the counter, but how do you see it going based on what you've seen from Man City and Spurs recently? Do you give us any shot at that? No. <laughs> Moving on. My notes here, uh, they are struggling too, but 
Yeah. Both levels. Doctor Tottenham. <laughs> you know, there's yeah. a, there's a difference between the between the struggles. Yeah. What's that? What's that, Harland? You're you're going through a goal drought of a game and a half. Exactly. Oh, here you go. Here's I, I think that. Well, obviously, you lost against Arsenal, and the risk now is that you will mm. lose against City, and then the Fulham game is actually huge. And I could honestly yeah. see you losing that as well. Sorry to be the bearer of bad news. Playing Fulham for a spot in the top five. Well, Fulham, yeah, yeah. Wow. I don't. I, sorry, I don't really have anything else to say other than I think <laughs> the next time we talk. I mean, you could have stopped at no, Dave. You guys are going to be very, very sad. <laughs> yeah, we, we might have to give it a couple of weeks just to give us a, a, an increased chance of actually getting some kind of a result. Mm. I think it's also worth saying that even though Man City technically lost their last game to Man United, who are very good at the moment, and I agree with you, Elliot, that they probably are uh, an outside shot for the title, but I think Man City did deserve to win that game. I think there was a very controversial goal by Bruno Fernandes that everyone's talking about where Rashford was clearly not interfering mm. with play whatsoever, even though he was bearing down on goal and everyone <laughs> backed away from him. It. But anyway, besides the point, I think it was definitely um, Man City had had the best of the game and probably deserved to to win. So they are on the good only form. way we beat Manchester City. The lasagna. only way we beat Manchester City is if that chip they have on their shoulder about well, lasagna <laughs> too, but is if that chip they have on their shoulder about us comes to fruition again, as it so yeah. often does. Because for some reason Manchester City themselves yeah. with us basically so that is the only way we win this or game. if one of our fans runs onto the pitch and attacks Haaland and is successful this time Ugh, I, which we I do not condone fan... at all if we should add I no, no. <laughs> oh, I you hope do. that fan gets you do condone it Elio <laughs> I hope that fan gets three months jail yeah. time and I hope he never attends uh, another live football match side, it is very um, embarrassing to see I, I think it was a kid I still think it's it was just such a... the in between us <laughs> it did it did look like that no it's uh it's just such a shame as well. You lose all right to have any opinion or any kind of passion mm. about football if you go and do something stupid like that. And it's just shameful. And I hope he really does have the book thrown yeah, at him. Yeah, agreed. Um, no, Elio, how does one beat Man City? And you're not allowed to say play four two three one, play your best players in their best positions, try something new. Why is he allowed as to say to something that isn't working? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, in all seriousness, not not just us, but what strategies have been successful against Man City and how can we learn from that? I mean, in terms of what's worked for us against them, it's always been a case of taking our chances mm. over yeah. the last few years. And so we just need to make sure that we can create chances against them. Um, the other thing that's worked against them is Harry Kane having blinders. Basically, yeah. though the first game of the last season, Kane obviously wasn't there because he was on strike at the time. <laughs> but yeah, Son was deputising at that point. It, Manchester City are one of the best sides in yeah. the world. We are not. We are at their stadium. Both sides are on poor form. Our form is worse. How to beat Manchester City? Pray. Pray. <laughs> yeah. If we lose to Manchester yeah. City and then we lose to Fulham as well, we will have a different manager in February. And with no transfer window, with no transfer window either. And, I mean, Do you really think so? Unless it's already been discussed. I think if we lose the next two games, which is a very likely proposition, 
I think if we lose the next two games, then by the next time I'm at a Spurs match, which is the home match on the 5th of February against Manchester mm. City, our manager will be Maurizio Pochettino. Really? Surely it depends on the, the manner of the defeats though, right? If it's if it's a game where we actually represent ourselves well and we go down swinging. No, it really. doesn't. The fans are so the fans mm. are so vocal right now and it's very much aimed at the mm. boards. When fans get on managers' backs, boards ignore yeah. it in the most part, unless something horrible like being threatened by relegation looks like happening. When fans go for the boards, they sack the manager. Yeah, uh, you've said that before and, and that's the fans are proved going to be true with, with Nuno, surely. Uh, the problem is it's always the fans going for the board. I think whoever we replace, eventually it's going to be the same thing because I think, and I'm basing this off a small cross-section, the impression I get is that people have I guess, woken up to the idea that we keep on hiring these so-called winners and nothing's changing. Mm. We're, we've, we've played a lot of defensive styles of football over you know the last five years or so. Ever since Pochettino's height, really, we've been playing quite sort of negative football. One could say that anyway. Do you think it's just a case of shutting up a few fans by hiring somebody like Pochettino, someone romantic, somebody... If, if, you're, if you're the board right now, if you're Levy, do you think the way to get fans off your back is to just hire somebody who is going to play attacking football and not care if they're actually going to win trophies. I mean, that's the way to get some fans off their back. Yeah. I, I personally think that if it doesn't work with Conte in terms of fan support for this board, the writing is now on the mm. wall. The fact that I am now amongst the fans that thinks we're not going to ever get any further than we have been yeah. with this board, when I was one of the biggest apologists for them over the years and I always saw the logic and what they were doing, I think that that says yeah. it all. I, I think... If it fails with Conte, then this board will never get support yeah. back until we have... Well, well until they're gone. Yeah. Yeah, if it fails with Conte, this board are never getting support back. I think that's probably a good time to mention. And, and, and let's not talk about it for too long because, and correct me if I'm wrong, from my understanding, this supposed interest from the, the QSI, the Qatar Sports Investment Organization, the rumors there was apparently a meeting that took place between the head of the organization and Daniel Levy, which the club has denied. My understanding, and Elio, tell me if you understand otherwise, is that there was a meeting or allegedly there was a meeting and these are the owners of PSG we're talking about and I think they are prohibited from owning wholly owning two clubs in, in Europe so at the very most it would only be an investment rather than a complete takeover or sale of the club so I mean it's probably not worth going into too much detail but what do you understand about those rumors do you have any idea what's actually happening I mean the club have quashed them yeah but the club would quash anything that was in any kind of early stage negotiation mm. I don't know if I've mentioned it before but I have had it on decent authority that actually Levy and Enoch have been very open to the sale of the club for a few years yeah. right now but because we're greedy and we value it very very high that just hasn't happened on top of that we are dealing in a market where Manchester United and Liverpool are available at mm. the moment so why would a buyer go to us but if it's just an investment as opposed to an outright yeah. buy that may make us the more likely proposition however and I don't know if this was your next question or not I don't want that money. I know that no, Levy no. and Enoch may not... I'm oh, sorry, Lewis and Enoch may not exactly squeaky mm. clean people. There are probably things throughout them. There, I think with yeah. most billionaires, there will be. But we're back to levels, I'd, aren't we? Yeah, exactly, levels. Mm. Uh, this is where you have to know where your line is. And for me... I don't want that money in my yeah, club. Yeah, I think I agree. And I think the, the sad thing is, if you're looking at Twitter, the impression I get is that a lot of our fans, I don't believe it to be a majority for a second, but it sounds like a lot of our fans would happily 
take the actual Taliban owning Spurs if it meant we won trophies or if it meant that it wasn't Enoch. There seems to be a ridiculous number of Qatar flags being inserted into buyers at the moment, which is all very, very horrible to see. But a tweet here that I thought sums it up quite, quite nicely. Joe Lewis became a billionaire through currency trading. So unless he has a torture chamber on level H of his super yacht or murdered tens of thousands of workers to construct his Bahamas villa, I'm not really interested in a moral comparison. He's not a proxy for the West. Uh, that's from Mocco Spurs on, on Twitter. We, we will obviously discuss it if it materialises, if something comes of it. We kind of had that conversation already, didn't we, with the Newcastle thing, with a pretty similar situation mm. potentially. But let's not get into it too much because, of course, uh, it may well not happen. And, and in any case, it's unlikely to be a complete takeover by the QSI. Mm. Moving on to other orders of business. First of all, Twitter, please follow us. Uh, speaking of Twitter, so uh, we're at Plus Dave Podcast. Elio is at Elio underscore P underscore THFC. And Dave is at Fantasy Dave. I'm at Plus Dave Dags. Um, and another update on the internet in the world of Plus Dave is that we've actually started a blog, which you can go and read. There's one article on there, which I have written. So if you are a fan of overly verbose, long-winded, stat-filled, pretentious articles, please check out my article while it's still borderline relevant it is essentially a comparison between Erling Haaland and Harry Kane and their season so far based on a couple of people suggesting that Kane's having a better season than Haaland which is a bold claim so I thought I'd investigate that so uh, please check that out you can find our blog at plusdave.wordpress.com that's plusdave dot wordpress.com and um, i've been given a soft promise from elio that he might be contributing to the blog at some point in future elio have you given any further thought to this you plan on getting those creative juices flowing and writing some articles for us in the future? until eight o'clock on thursday evening i'm pretending that spurs don't exist totally understandable i expect nothing less so maybe the not so near future but <laughs> watch this space nonetheless and Dave, of course, if you want to write uh, an article about how Spurs fans are a bunch of crybabies and we, we want to see how bad well, it could I be, mean, then I mean, feel free I've, to jump in. I've been biting my tongue for the last 20 minutes. Just just going to ask you if you're excited about the you know knockout phases of the Champions League that you guys are in or no? No. No, we're not excited about that. We will be when it comes around. We will be, Dave, but we'll get on to that. That will be one for another podcast. Um, It must be awful being fifth, by the way. Just saying. It's terrible. It's horrible, especially when Fulham are sixth. Shall we move on to to the Fulham game then, shall we? Because obviously that is a game that we're probably not going to have a chance to preview in another podcast. So, um, Dave, I know you've kept a close eye on Fulham over the years. You were once a season ticket holder there, if I'm not mistaken. I was. Uh, Yeah, I lived lived like 100 yards away from the stadium, so it it would have been rude not to be, to be honest. Definitely rude not to. Um, obviously, um, slight change of personnel since those days, but they're having a good season, some, as everyone has pointed faces. out. <laughs> but they're looking they're looking all right, aren't they? They're, they're playing some good stuff. Mitrovic, obviously, is finally proving that he can do it in the Prem, and Andres Pereira looks like a handy proposition behind him. What have you made of Fulham? You've already hinted the Spurs could slip up against them. <laughs> it is, it, I mean, it is really the, the absolute polar opposite of the Fulham that we've seen in the Premier League for the past two or three times that they've been in, where they've been yeah. flaky at the back and they haven't been able to convert their chances. This time around, they look rock solid at the back, and and, mm. and Mitrovic is obviously, um, I think Elio said, the season of his life. I think that's probably quite accurate, to be honest. It'll be fascinating to see yep. if he can do it again next season as well. But yeah, it's all down to a couple of decent signings in the midfield, Palini and Pereira, who, I mean... They bought, I think, a combined, they're about £30 million. Pounds. I think they've probably about tripled in, in value already. Uh, yeah. 18 yeah. games into the 20 games into the season. And yeah, that's, it's just, they're playing fearless football. 
uh, to an extent. Yeah. And and I think they go into every game thinking that they can stop the other team from damaging them. And with Mitrovic up front, then they have they have an outlet where they believe that they can nick goals. Yeah. So I am worried for you guys. I I think I think that's going to be <laughs> that's going to be a proper as the late great Graham Taylor would say that is a test. Yeah. Well, thanks, Dave. That's exactly what we He's didn't know. magic, you know. <laughs> oh, God. We've, we've lost Elio. He's officially broken. Elio's just suffered a brief relapse, and he thinks it's 2017 again. Uh, <laughs> we'll leave him to get over that little moment. Um, but uh, So, yeah, Dave, you, you say, say, say seven or eight of those Fulham players would walk into the Spurs team, right? No, none of them would walk into the Spurs team. <laughs> But that's not, that's not, that's not. I was not, just trying to get a nibble out of Elio. It's not football, don't, is it? don't take my question seriously. No, I'm joking. But of course, yeah, I think we have to respect Fulham. And they're, they're a team. Football's not played on player. Football paper. is. There are games Bingo. Bingo. Football is certainly not played on paper. And Fulham are definitely proving that. So we'll, we'll come back to that one and see where it goes. And I think the state of mind we'll have going into that depends very much on whether we spring a surprise against Man City or if we lose 5 <laughs> 0. So, so let's wait, wait and see on that one. You, you know what? It would be. Such typical us to somehow get the victory yeah, against City. And then lose to Fulham. Yeah, absolutely. Probably in some kind no. of dramatic. I and almost then lose expect it. I, I, and I say expect. I don't say that word lightly. I almost expect it. So yeah, that's Spurs. It's got so, to be worth uh, a tenner. <laughs> welcome to Spurs. Yeah, I think it could be worth a tenner. Though. It's magic, you know. Elio, while you're on that topic, were Conte to lose his job in two, yes. in two games' time? And you could pick our next manager um, among the reasonably suggested candidates, including, of course, Maurizio Pochettino and Thomas Tuchel. And I think I've run out of options. <laughs> Who would you want to see take over? Well, Pochettino is the obvious mm. choice. Don't want Tuchel because I'm fed up of ex-Chelsea managers. Yeah. Don't want anyone <laughs> Portuguese. We've tried three Portuguese managers. They've all been awful for us. It's borderline um, racism, I, I think. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not sure you can roll out. It's the style of. I can't see. I can't see your face, Elio, for that massive brush. Yeah. <laughs> everybody. No, I said they've all been awful for us. Oh, that's okay then. Um, yeah. Oh, okay. that's fine. Good. Mourinho, AVB, and Nuno. Brazilian right backs have all been terrible as well. Let's see what Brazilian fullbacks have we had. Emerson, Gilberto Silva. Yeah. Well, we can yeah, just roll right. out any Brazilian <laughs> fullbacks forever now because they're all terrible. Uh, thing is. There and the Portuguese national team has shown this as well. Um, there is a culture of, despite having some unbelievably talented mm. footballers at their disposal, they have always played the exact kind mm. of football that we hate watching yep. at Spurs. And in the very strong likelihood that whoever we get, we're not going to win anything. I just want to see us play some good football again. I just want to mm. fall in love with my club again. And Ex-Chelsea managers don't do that. And we've had three of those now. Yeah, Conte. Mourinho, Conte, Villas-Boas. Yeah. And the Portuguese managers, we've (laughs) had fallen foul of that. So, What about Portuguese right-backs? Would you take one of those (laughs) for a snip at 40 million change? No, we'll, well see. Well, I don't no. want to talk about no, transfers No, probably still right too now. early to talk about transfers. I'm getting very, very bored of the name Pedro Porro on Twitter, I must admit. So <laughs> let's see where <laughs> where that one goes. Now, I must admit, Pochettino, if it happened, and let's be honest, it may well do, it would be fun. If only for about six months. If it all went downhill very quickly, I think there'll be a brief moment where at least it would be exciting and there'll be nostalgia and we'd probably play some nice stuff even if we lost. Like you say, it might actually make things better than this because, yeah, we're fifth, but what does fifth actually mean if that's where we're going to finish and we're not even enjoying watching it in the process? The football we're watching is only justifiable if you win the league. Exactly. Second, third and fourth doesn't justify it. And 
you may say, well, we got fourth last season. We were happy. We were playing much better football yeah. than this. Or the first half season. of the season under Mourinho, where we were playing worse football than this and top of the league or right up there. We were okay with that if it was going to stay, stay that way, but it wasn't. It's really easy, this, this football business, isn't it? I mean, I'm still very much in the camp that if Conte loses his job in a couple of games time, it's time for Elio. I think we've seen enough. The people have spoken. I want to see Elio in. Um, I've seen his efforts on Football Manager over the years. And speaking of Football Manager, I know you guys can't wait to hear the latest updates on my latest Football Manager save in which I am the mighty Preston North End, the original Lily Whites. I'm trying my best to keep a little bit of a plus day flavour in my save. And uh, it was quite easy because I started out with Peter Risdale as a director of Football Dave, who is a man I'm sure you'll have some mixed feelings about. And that's putting it nicely. He's a, He was a director. He's now retired. He's now retired, uh, so he's he's been replaced. But uh, I have just signed Eric Dyer at the heart of my defence, which might come back to bite me. Uh, there was a lovely moment where I told him I expected to see some good defending from him out there on his debut, and he was confused by his <laughs> suggestion, which was uh, a lot of fun. And to cap it off with the plus Dave theme for my team, the beating heart of my midfield, my box-to-box midfielder, who I signed on a free, is the one and only Mr. Sean Longstaff. So there you go. That's my FM save. I mean, it sounds awful. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the budgets have... <laughs> Preston, <the> bud- <laughs> Dyer, Longstaff. You're really, yeah. you're really giving it, it, it that... It feels very you know, Brexit, doesn't it? Grim up north <laughs> vibe. <laughs> it's, yeah, I'm trying to play some nice football. I'm trying to teach them a 3-5-2, but they just keep on hoofing it long. Anyway, well, um, I'll come back to that. You'll, you'll get some periodic updates on that as that progresses, and I'll try and sign a few more Spurs and Leeds players when I get the chance to. Fantastic. Well, look, I just want to end on a slightly more positive note in the theme of nostalgia, because, Elio, I know you're thinking back to better days at the moment and you're trying to remind yourself why you supported Spurs in the first place. A man who recently hung up his boots for good is one of the greats of this generation and one of our favourite players of this generation for Spurs, of course, is Gareth Bale. Elio, if you could, I'd like you to say a few words about his career, his time at Spurs, and I guess his legacy in this generation of footballers that we've witnessed. Gareth Bale as a 17-year-old when we signed him after a great season with Southampton from the moment he made his debut at Manchester United was the most obvious future world-class player I've ever seen at that age, barring Lionel Messi. He was incredible. And then it took him a while. He had some really horrible injuries. He lost a lot of confidence and form. But you were always willing him to do it. He was one of those players that you just push and push and you're always behind. The crowd never got on his back once. They never wrote him off in the slightest for us. And there was just something so obviously special about him. And you can't say that about a lot of players. A lot of the time with a player like that going through that much loss of form and confidence, the crowd will get to a point where they think, okay, if he goes, he goes, at least we try. Jack Clark, who didn't even get a chance actually, but (laughs) that kind of vibe. Then, and I think it was, I think it could have been against Blackburn where he pretty much retired Michelle Salgado. He just 
started playing left back under Harry Redknapp. He narrowly missed being sold. And then because of an injury to uh, Benoit Suakota, he came in at left back and started roasting opposition right-hand sides single-handedly. He just came from that one good game and then he got the confidence and then he started playing really, really well. And it built and it built and it built. And by the end of that season, in just half a season's worth of matches, he got us into the Champions League for the first yeah. time. The performances against Arsenal and Chelsea and those goals. And you, you just knew that there was a lot more yeah. to come. The next season, our first season in the Champions League, which for me is his best season. For us, not his most prolific, but Yeah, I remember you saying that because I think a lot of people would say his final season because of all the goals and the spectacular moments. His final season, there were games where you didn't see him for an entire 89 minutes, but because he plundered one in from (laughs) 30 yards, all was forgiven. Mm. That season where he demolished Mykon where he scored that unbelievable volley against oh, yeah. Stoke. That that season, he just really, really lit up the Premier League. He was the best player in the league at the age of, I think, about 20 at that point. And that was the point at which you started wondering how long Spurs could keep him because he was clearly going to be one of the top two or three players on the planet. And so it transpired when Madrid did eventually buy him from us. It was Messi, Ronaldo and Bale as the top three on the planet. I don't think Neymar ever had the same sort of wow that Bale had mm. at any point, quite frankly. And he's obviously been a fabulous player. I know Dave is going to chip in we'll, on we'll that comment specifically if he gets a go. But... I was at all of these games of Gareth Bale. I was at the Giuseppe Meazza when he scored that hat-trick to take us from 4-0 down with 10 men to 4-3. All three of those goals almost identical right in front of me. I was on the side of the pitch that Bale did absolutely demolish Mykon as he was doing it to have Peter Crouch and Pavlyuchenko score um, those lovely goals. And I just feel blessed that I got to see six years worth of Gareth Bale. A seventh one was behind closed doors and unfortunately we didn't see it, but I'm so blessed that I got to watch him become the player he became. And then what he went on to achieve Mm. afterwards, the unbelievable goals he scored and everything that he won with Real Madrid, the bicycle kick in the final of the Champions League to win it. I mean, getting Wales to both a European Championships quarterfinals and just into the World Cup at all. And unfortunately, by that point, he was a spent force. The guy had an absolute fabulous career and nobody should look back on his career and think anything other than he did win football. He ticked every box. There's nothing that he should have achieved that he didn't. And I'm so proud of the fact that such a big chunk of it was for us. Born to play for Spurs. Brilliantly said. Dave, I want to hear your thoughts on Bale. First of all, I just want to say I didn't tee Elio up for that in advance at all. I didn't tell him I was going to ask him about Bale. I think that was sprung on him and I had full faith in him to come out with a very detailed and passionate response to that. So brilliant as always, Elio. Dave, anything to add on Gareth Bale? Perhaps one of the more underappreciated players of a generation? Not really. I mean, Elio's kind of said everything that needs to be said. It's difficult to talk about best players ever. Obviously, it's difficult to compare different eras. You know, I know that there's a the greatest ever Welsh player. Mm. I think there's there's probably three, there a few three players yeah. that are in that conversation, which are probably Bale and John Giggs Charles and yeah. John, Charles. John Charles. And it's impossible to compare yeah, yeah. those, Especially those John three Charles. players. Well, yeah, exactly. And I think there's too much bias in mm. everybody's opinion. Uh, I think they were doing. Uh, I, I don't usually listen to talk sport because. I hate it, but I did have it on for like 20 minutes. I think it was yesterday. And they were talking about greatest ever British players. 
Just to and, be in that conversation, though. And it's just ridiculous. Like, it's a Spurs, a Spurs fan saying Kane Bale Greeks <laughs> and a Man United yeah, fan saying yeah. Charlton Styles and, and Beckham. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Everybody's got that kind of subliminal bias. But I think the fact that he went from Spurs to Real mm. Madrid and won everything and was, even as a... Not particular, well, not liked at all by the end. But mm. even even when he was was when it's scoring Champions League final winning goals, he wasn't particularly loved by them. Mm. But still delivered, still did his job, which it clearly was his job at that point. Um, not his not his love, but yeah, incredible footballer, brilliant for Spurs, brilliant for Real Madrid, brilliant for Wales consistently for many years and if anybody hasn't listened to Ellis James's one man tribute to him and the Guardian I, I would recommend okay. going because mm. that's yeah it's uh, quite brilliant uh, and, and on that note actually there's a video that he posted on his own Twitter which is basically just a highlights reel of his career right from Southampton through to uh, was it LAFC where he finished um, but there's all the all the highlights are on there yeah. all the brilliant goals the bicycle kick in the Champions League the taxi for Mycon loads of lovely lovely goals and um, I definitely recommend seeing in that so uh, so yeah congratulations on a brilliant career gareth bale thanks for all the memories and enjoy retirement and plenty of golf i would imagine brilliant well i thought i'd end on a high there couldn't ping up on a free could you? <laughs> we, he might get bored we might be able to persuade him back although i think i feel like conte <laughs> might bring him on in the, in the 93rd minute anyway it'll be pochettino by then thanks for everyone who stuck with us i know how hard it is to listen to us when spurs have lost but uh let's hope we're in better spirits next week and we can have a slightly cheerier podcast fingers crossed we'll see you then david shaking his head as we speak which pretty much sums <laughs> it up doesn't it brilliant until then you'll stay classy spurs fans and we'll see you next week Thank you.